Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's July 27th, 1586, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ali. The Retrospectors. So it was on this day that Walter Raleigh brought tobacco back to Britain from Virginia, uh, although it is actually quite likely that lowlier British sailors had been bringing it back in smaller quantities from Spain and Portugal for a couple of decades before that. Uh, but Raleigh really knew how to market his gear, uh, and in so doing, triggered quite the craze. Indeed, put aside <laughs> <laughs> what we now know about tobacco and consider this, folks. It was essentially a health fad, and it was considered by some a cure for cancer. Oh, Lord. (laughs) It's funny to think as well how peculiar it must have looked in those very early days. And there's one apocryphal story, perhaps, that one of Sir Walter's servants, seeing him smoking a pipe for the first time, just threw water all over him because he thought that his face was on on fire. fire. (laughs) It's a word apocryphal, isn't it? You know, it's just like, here's a BS story that people have told each other for 300 years, and I'm going to repeat it, but with an element of cynicism that suggests I know it's probably not true. (laughs) Right. Well, yeah, and that was the only way that you could smoke tobacco in those days. It was always smoked through a pipe in the Americas. And the unfortunate thing for Christopher Columbus and his crew when they arrived in the Americas was that they didn't actually see the indigenous people using the tobacco. So when they were given a big pile of presents, he wrote something in his journal, you know, we got these amazing shiny shells, (laughs) we got this really cool thing and a bunch of useless dried leaves that we just threw into (laughs) the sea. No, really? Yeah, and it wasn't until they were... Then they went to Cuba... And then a couple of sailors actually saw how it was done. And one of them was named Rodrigo de Jerez. He's apparently Europe's first ever smoker. Mm. (laughs) When he demonstrated his new habit at home, apparently it was seen as demonic and he was actually imprisoned by the Spanish Inquisition. Yeah, I mean, it must have been quite odd when you first saw it. But Raleigh was um, kind of an influencer, wasn't he? That's the thing. Like he was he'd already um, made a name for himself as an explorer. He had friends in very high places. Like he was quite cool and dashing. Remember that? thing he did where he puts cloak over the puddle for the queen he had a real like black adder two energy to him i think you know well he did actually get queen elizabeth uh, the ultimate influencer uh, to puff and partake of the tobacco when he brought it back and so by circa 1600 it had become very very widespread but actually she would have been one of the only women in high society to give it a go because it became seen as quite a manly pursuit smoking Mm. Um, it's something that you did in the alehouses. It's something you did partly to suppress your appetite. It's funny, isn't it, how much in even 1600 people were doing this? <laughs> something you suppress your appetite so you can get another drink in. Um, and that's how kind of tobacco and alcohol came to be seen hand in hand. And even if you thought alcohol was a bit evil and you didn't want to get drunk, you could smoke instead, so you'd drink less as well. But it was frowned upon that a woman would smoke. They actually called it dry drunkenness. The word smoking only became popular much, much later. So in the early days, it was a kind of form of getting drunk on something that was, you know, not liquid. And it, it's it's funny, I suppose, if you actually, if you've ever smoked a cigar or, or even a pipe, I did try once, it, like, as opposed to cigarettes, you really do get incredibly lightheaded quite quickly. 
high society knew as well that in Spain it was the thing. So there was an account by Nicholas Menardes in 1577 called Of the Tobacco and of His Greater Virtues, <laughs> which was written in Spanish but then translated in 1577 by John Frampton. So it's kind of prepping everybody to get ready for this stuff when it arrived. And in that report, Menardes recommends its use for the relief of toothache, falling fingernails, worms, halitosis, lockjaw and cancer. Um, so there really was this widespread idea that it, like, because it kind of freshened your breath. Like you have to bear in mind, people didn't brush their teeth then. Oh, man. So, like, tobacco was seen, as opposed to how we see it now, it was something that was considered to be a pleasant smell. But it didn't take long for the anti-tobacco movement to kick into gear. It actually started in, in 1604. King James I wrote a treatise called A Counterblast to Tobacco, in which he laid out his opposition to the habit but it's funny how modern some of it seems even though you know they didn't have any way of knowing what health problems smoking would be linked to but you know he calls it a filthy novelty hateful to the nose dangerous to the lungs I mean he was pretty much bang on yeah. money and everyone must have just thought he was just a grouchy <laughs> you know just a grouchy old fun sponge and his way of tackling it was to put tax on it like an import tax and so he hoped that in doing so it would slow down its use and you know stop people smoking around him like the grumpy grumpy man he was the most weird smoking restriction I've seen the, the first one was as early as 1575 it was outlawing tobacco use in churches in Mexico but there was one from 1830 the government of Prussia was very anti-smoking they saw it as kind of an unmanly lazy habit and they were very martial culture in 1830 they passed a law requiring that cigars be smoked inside a wire mesh frame to prevent sparks from lighting ladies dresses on fire Wow! and I mean if you know if you think back to the time when you used to go to nightclubs when you could smoke in clubs and pubs and stuff and how often someone would scald you with their cigarette gesticulating or whatever mm. it is you were trying oh, to walk past. that's one of my earliest memories. I went to the opening oh. of my dad's car showroom when I was six and someone stubbed a cigarette out on me because they didn't know that a six-year-old was walking around next to them. And I mean, oh. it sticks. It sticks in your mind. Yeah. The pain was intense. <laughs> the, the kind of twin concepts of tobacco being very bad for you and tobacco having health benefits actually never really went away I mean, obviously until 1962, when we got the report by the Royal College of Physicians saying that tobacco smoke did have damagingly adverse effects on health. But actually, even beyond that, into my childhood, cigarettes were still advertised as if they had a health benefit to your well-being, if not to your body. You know, happiness is a cigar called Hamlet. That was on telly till, mm. like, the turn of the century. So mm. there was always this concept that actually maybe... Yeah, maybe it's kind of bad for you, but it's kind of good for you. I mean, there was a thing in The Plague where people thought that it cleared the air around you and it was prescribed, mm. it was like insisted that schoolboys at Eton smoked a pipe with their breakfast every day to clean the air around them. <laughs> wow. I kind of still feel like that sort of might work, though. I can totally understand, like, the, the logic behind that. Uh, I mean, I think this was a big moment as well in Walter Raleigh's life. I mean, he had an incredible, colourful life, not least, you know, over a decade spent in prison in the Tower of London. But... I think this was a significant moment to him that he'd popularised tobacco. He was proud of it because when he... I mean, he was executed, for those who don't know, Slow News Day, uh, in 1618. <laughs> and what he left behind in his cell was a tobacco pouch and engraved upon the pouch was a Latin inscription. It was my companion at that most miserable time. I think there was a like, really wow. strong association with him that he'd, he'd brought this incredible wonder drug over and towards the end of his life, by then, he'd have known that the trade in tobacco from Virginia was really booming. 
I mean, like all drug dealers, he basically went around giving around free samples, didn't he? And then, of course, to get it, <laughs> you, have to, you have to establish a colony. Well, one of the most significant side effects with this you know, sudden rise in popularity of smoking was that it fueled the African slave trade. Mm. Tobacco is really quite difficult to cultivate. There's lots of drying and you've got to bury it for a bit and then dig it up and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and because demand was so high and it was so sudden, the first shipment of African slaves arrived in Virginia in 1619, so the year after Raleigh died, because wow. the, the just wasn't enough labour to meet that demand. Raleigh took his pipe with him to the scaffold when he was beheaded. So he was committed to this thing right to the end. And I guess kind of like you're saying, Ollie, he sort of felt some weird pride in having created this whole sort of habit and industry. So um, hold on, our, our so two yeah. facts there seem to contradict each other, don't they? Like he took the pipe to the scaffold, but he left the pouch in the cell I mean, I know he has no need <laughs> for the tobacco anymore. I was going to say, he probably only had need for, like, one more bowl of pipe at oh, most. Yeah. I mean, I was about to say that's depressing, but obviously in the context, sort of the least depressing thing for him. But <laughs> Just yeah. wasn't planning on being beheaded for ages. <laughs> <laughs> one final fun execution fact about Walter Raleigh. Uh, his head was kept by his wife, Lady Raleigh, in a velvet bag until her death. Wow. That's a party mm. trick, isn't it? Does that mean it's, 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 is it still out there somewhere? No, it got reunited with his body after she died. But, I mean, she kept it. <laughs> they gave it to her because they felt kind of guilty about executing him. And they're like, it was for political reasons, sorry. Here, have his head. Um, and she kept it in a bag. I mean, I just think... I guess... How do you... I, I, what do you... I, did she walk around with it like a handbag? <laughs> did she show it off to her friends? How did she preserve it back then? Yeah, stink? what's what's in the what's in the velvet bag, Mrs. Rally? Yeah. Uh, you know, n- nothing nothing of significance. Don't open it. Don't open it. <laughs> I just need to go and powder my nose and his. <laughs> Tomorrow, what zombies were back then wasn't strictly what zombies are today. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Patreon.com/slash Retrospectors.